Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Hello. Um, it's um, it's lovely to meet some of you. Some of you I know really well. Some of you I don't know very well yet. But um, hopefully after today we'll know each other a bit better. Um, but I always like to start with a little bit of a fun fact about myself so that you feel like you know me. Um, I have recently developed a new obsession, and, a, and it's not at all cool, um, but you might share it with me. Um, I have discovered... Pointless. Has anyone here, does anyone here watch Pointless? I flipping love Pointless. Um, for those of you who don't know, Pointless is a TV game show that is on um, every day of the week apart from Sunday at about 5.15, which is the perfect time to come home from work, sit down on the sofa with chocolate and... Um, and watch it. And um, if you don't know how it works, um, you have a load of contestants, uh, and they are set quiz questions. And uh, the aim of the quiz is to come up with the correct but most obscure answer possible. So, for example, if, um, if you were asked to name the wives of Henry VIII, um, you would have to probably not come up with Anne Boleyn, because although that's right, probably everyone knows that, but you would have to come up with one of the really obscure ones, which are so obscure that I don't know them. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the goal. Um, so in my journey of discovery into the world of pointless, I have discovered about myself some enlightening facts. The first is... I am shocking at geography. I have no idea where anything in the world is. Um, I'm also awful at history. However, I am surprisingly good at rounds that concern musicals, types of fish, and cheese. That's, uh, so my school teachers would be proud. Um, and I thought we would um, kick off this morning with a bit of a quiz. Sim told me that when I asked, Sim, what on earth do I have to do when I speak at Freedom Church? He said, there's no rules, just be yourself. Um, so I'm a youth worker, so I have come up with a quiz and I bought a chocolate prize. Uh, so that, that's me being myself. And um, These aren't just snacks to get me through. I thought as I walked up that people might just think that in order to survive the sermon, I'd just have to chew my way through it. Um, so I have a quiz um, and there is a tenuous link because I as a youth worker, there kind of has to be some kind of tenuous link into the talk, um, but there isn't with the first question. So my first question is this. Um, we asked 100 people in 100 seconds to name which, TV show, which city these TV shows were based in. And I will give a chocolate bar to the person who can get the most obscure answer up there. So do you know the city that Dynasty, Fraser, Friends... ER or the West Wing are based in. Um, would anyone like to venture a guess? Joe? I think Fraser. Yep. Seattle, that is 20 points to Joe. Oh. 20 points. Anyone want to try another one? Yes. ER was in Chicago, and that is 19 points. Yeah. You just beat Joe. Um, one more. Yes. The West Wing, a.k.a. the best TV show ever, was in Washington, D.C., but that is 25 points. So the, the winning prize goes to ER Chicago. Um, I would say I'll throw this, but um, I will hit someone, so um, I might need someone to be a runner. <laughs> Super keen. Um, here is question number two. We asked 100 people in 100 seconds to tell us what these days of the week in German were in English. Anyone like to venture a guess? Yes. Donnerstag is Thursday. That was 20 points. Do you know, I haven't actually got the answers in front of me, so you could just make this up and I wouldn't know. Um, 20 points. Anyone else? Wednesday. Yes. 
23 points. Sorry. Last chance to win a whisper. Yes. Friday is Friday. That's 34 points. So the winning answer was Donnerstag Thursday. You get a chocolate bar. I'm going to get Hannah run. (laughs) And here is my final one. We asked 100 people in 100 seconds to name um, one of the 12 disciples. Anyone want to name one of the 12 disciples and take a guess? And I must confess here, I didn't ask 100 people in 100 seconds. I made up the points based on what I thought they were. But, um, <laughs> but if you think like me, then you might win the points. Um, so, uh, who would like to venture a guess? Yes. Bartholomew. Bartholomew. I gave him about 30. I think it's about 30. Um, anyone else? Simon the Levite. I gave him a three. Anyone else? Yes. Philip. He got a 45. I think, he, I think he was pretty well known. Anyone else? Last guess. Final try. Phineas. Uh, I don't think there was one. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause there and be like, it is possible there's a theological thing that I've missed. Um, it could be that he was so obscure. There's a horrifying... I'm just looking at Sim to be like, was that some kind of code name for them? Um, no. So um, the winning was um, Simon the... Brilliant. Um, our three disciples today, I have christened the forgotten disciples. Um, so Joe has managed to get one of them. The three disciples we're looking at today are the three that you really want to know about if you go on Pointless. They are not the three that you really want to know about when you're doing your first talk at Freedom Church ever. (laughs) Thank you, Sim. Because the three disciples today um, are hopeless for a talk. Um, Because we pretty much know nothing about them. Today we are looking at um, Simon the Zealot, Thaddeus and James, son of Alphaeus. So unlike Simon Peter, who couldn't stop talking, so we've got loads of stuff about him, John, the disciple who Jesus loved, Matthew, who wrote a whole book of the Bible, or Judas, who we know because he's the villain of the story, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Thaddeus have distressingly little to say for themselves. When I told a friend that I was speaking on these three, she said, I've literally never heard of them. (laughs) Their biggest claim to fame is that their names appear in the list of the names of the disciples. That's pretty much it. (laughs) So um, I have hunted down the depths of books and articles and Wikipedia to um, find out what details we know. And it is a true testament to the theologians and historians of the world that actually um, they've come up with quite a lot for a list of names. Um, And would you like to know what we know about these guys? Here are the top trumps. First is James, son of Alphaeus. Um, I've said he's got nicknames, one. I'll tell you about that in a second. Memorability, zero. Um, Brothers, maybe two. Um, So he was the son of Alphaeus. We know that. We don't know who Alphaeus was. We know that he was the son. Um, James is a ludicrously common name in the Bible. There's loads of James, and lots of them are really exciting. Um, One of them might have been the brother of Jesus. Um, He might have written one of the books of the New Testament. Uh, He headed up the Jerusalem church. He did all sorts of exciting things. That's not this James. Um, This James was son of Alphaeus, um, which means he might have been Levi's brother. So Matthew's brother, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, But actually, the theologians think probably not, because whenever people are brothers, they tend to be shoved together and talked about as brothers in Scripture. Um, Whereas Matthew and Levi, um, Matthew and Simon um, and James, 
never really pop up together. Um, so it's possible that they were just two guys with dads, um, like names like Dave. Um, so just lots of people <laughs> called Dave. Um, so they just shared a dad with the same name. Um, he did have a mother called Mary, we think, and possibly a brother called Joseph, which means he might have been Jesus's cousin. Might have been. It's a bit speculative. His nickname is James the Less, um, which might mean that he was short, um, might mean that he was really young, or might just mean he was really insignificant. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. After that, history has absolutely no idea what happened to this James after Jesus went up into heaven. We've really got nothing. Um, so that's James. Then you get Simon the Zealot, sometimes called Simon the Canaanite. Now, the interesting fact about that is um, he wasn't, probably wasn't from Canaan, probably wasn't a Canaanite. It's just that the Greek word looks a little bit like the word for Canaanite. Um, so the Greek word for zealous or zealot looks a bit like that, so we get a bit confused. Um, he was either super enthusiastic about things, and therefore we call him really zealous, um, or he was a zealot, which was um, a member of kind of a terrorist um, political party of the day. And the irony is we know a lot more about the zealots than we know about Simon. Um, so the zealots we know about through the historian Josephus. Um, they were a bit like a kind of ancient IRA party. Um, they really, really objected to um, the Roman occupation of Israel. Um, they wanted to see them overthrown, and they weren't afraid to be quite violent and do some serious crime to see that happen. So they used to set fire to Roman um, establishments, um, and they really, really hated the Jews that collaborated with the Romans. So what we do know is that, especially at the beginning, you probably wouldn't have sat Simon and Matthew the tax collector together at a party for too long, <laughs> because it probably wouldn't have ended well. In a couple of the name lists, Simon's name um, appears next to Judas in the lists, which means people think that maybe when Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs, that Judas and Simon became a dream team and went out together, um, which could have been an interesting combination, knowing what we know about both of them and possibly their political backgrounds. Um, but unlike Judas, Simon appears to have kind of got over um, some of his political leanings and actually reformed himself by being with Jesus. There is some suggestion that Simon might have toddled over to Britain after Jesus went up into heaven and preached the gospel here, which is quite exciting. Um, we don't really know anything about that, but we think it might have happened. And it's thought that he probably died, like all the other disciples, um, being killed for sharing the gospel. So lastly, we have Thaddeus. Um, Thaddeus had three nicknames, um, he, uh, which makes him even more confusing to track down in Scripture. Um, so you've got Thaddeus, he's also known as Lebeus, um, and he's also known as Judas, brackets, not Iscariot. Um, <laughs> uh, none of those are brilliantly flattering names. Nobody really wanted to be called Judas for very long after Jesus was killed. Um, it wasn't a great name. Um, but Thaddeus and Lebeus aren't actually great names either. So they literally mean breast child or heart child or mama's boy basically. Um, so there's some speculation that unlike super enthusiastic, ragey Simon, that Thaddeus might have been quite gentle, quite kind, quite nice. Um, that's what we think they might have been getting at, but we don't really know. Um, and he is, uh, he's our starring disciple of this week because he gets a speaking part in the Gospels. He utters an entire <laughs> sentence in John 14 um, and asks Jesus a question. So he's kind of a big deal out of these three. Um, the early tradition says that probably after Jesus died, he headed into Turkey and uh, healed the king. 
there and went down kind of in their, potentially went down in their history for doing that. Um, but it didn't go great for him because the um, apostolic symbol that we have for him, the way that he's remembered is uh, with a club, which uh, is because we think he was probably clubbed to death in the end. Um, and that is literally all we know about these disciples. We know that they were part of the 12. And we know that they were present in the Gospels. We know that in the key moments, the, the, big, the big moments, the victories, the losses, the garden, the sermon, the boats, the travels, we know they were there. We just don't know anything else about them. In fact, the most significant thing that we can say about these men is that although they were there, they have been completely forgotten. Because perhaps the story was actually never about them in the first place. Which makes me wonder if maybe the story isn't about us either. See, we live in a status-obsessed society. Um, I did some research. I won't ask you to open up your phones and own up to how many you have. Um, but it's estimated that the average millennial will take 25,700 selfies in their lifetime. 25,000 pictures of themselves. Um, it's claimed that on average, females aged 16 to 25... Give me a wave if you're aged 16 to 25. OK, these are the people you need to check with afterwards. Um, it's claimed that they t spend about five hours taking selfies every week. Is that fair? Five hours? Five hours. And on average, 93 million selfies are taken worldwide every day. Every day. Um, but it might be, perhaps you're sitting there with a warm glow, knowing that you never take a selfie. But how about this? Um, the average Facebook user creates, creates 90 pieces of content each month, and every day 55 million status updates are made. 55 million. Uh, you know, I just had a burger. It's the useful information we're churning out into the universe. Um, there's been 13 years of the X Factor. That's 13 years of thousands and thousands of people taking their shot at fame, fortune, recognition, status and success for a chance to be remembered, known, their talent seen. We live in an age of legacy. Um, and underlying our culture, there seems to be this urgent desire for significance, um, significance that will outlast us to be seen, to be recognised, to leave our mark on the world, for people to remember our names. Anyone might think that, as a human race, we are scared of being forgotten or going unnoticed. And I think if we're not careful, that sneaks into the church and how we talk about things too. There's a very small step between the questions around um, what's my calling? What am I here to do that no one else can do? And um, what am I going to do with my life that will make a difference and leave a mark on the world? A very small step between that being a question between us and God about using our life appropriately and well to slipping into that sense of what if I'm not remembered? What if I'm forgotten? How can I make sure that my life is remembered beyond me? But what if these three disciples actually got it entirely right? What if instead of chasing our culture after significant status and recognition, God is maybe calling us to something entirely different? The art of being completely forgotten, calling us into countercultural insignificance. On the 20th of July, 1969, NASA achieved for the first time something that had never happened. 
man walked on the moon for the first time. And uh, here's another pointless fact for you. If I were to ask you the name of the crew that was involved in, um, in the lunar mission, you could probably tell me the names of um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Frank, has, my husband's been spending all week saying, Buzz Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear, <laughs> at me to try and make sure that I will say Buzz Lightyear. I didn't. Um, <laughs> but could you tell me the name? Um, Michael Collins. Great, some of you can. So Michael Collins was the commander of the Columbia, which was the, space the spacecraft that got the Apollo 11 shuttle into space, launched um, Buzz and, uh, and Neil onto the moon. And uh, he stayed on board the um, Columbia, waiting for them to come back so that he could pilot them safely back to Earth. So as Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin held the world's attention, taking their first steps on the moon, the Columbia, with Michael Collins on board, slipped quietly out of sight behind the moon. He became the world's first, most distant solo traveller. He was separated from the entirety of the rest of humanity by about 250,000 miles of space and by the bulk of the moon. And in spite of the significance of what he was contributing in that historic moment, the hugeness of what he was experiencing, the magnitude of what he was adding to humanity's experience, he was out of sight, out of contact, and out of mind. And to be honest, he's pretty much remained that way ever since, almost completely forgotten in the stories of history. But when he was asked about it, and the fact that he's largely been forgotten, he simply says this, it was an honour. It was an honour. And I wonder if those might be the words that Simon, James and Thaddeus would say as well. It was an honour. In, um, in John 3, John the Baptist's disciples have a bit of a freak out. So John the Baptist had been a really big deal in Galilee up until that point. People flocking to him to hear his teaching, to be baptised, to hear what he had to say from God. And all of a sudden there was this new guy on the scene called Jesus. And people weren't as interested in John anymore. And John's disciples were not happy about that. And they came to him to grill him, to say, what on earth is happening? Are you okay with this? Because we're not okay with this. And in response, John said this, I must decrease that he must increase. This was the calling on James and Simon and um, I said Alphaeus, that's not the name. James, Simon and this is the great moment. Thaddeus. <laughs> They're doing a really good job being forgettable. Um, this was the calling on each of them, and this was the calling on actually all the disciples, and this is the calling on us. We're not called to live our lives for our own significance, our own fame, our stories being remembered, our adventures being talked about, but actually to live our lives for the significance of Jesus and his story. If there's one thing that these disciples can really teach us about, it's this idea of being counterculturally insignificant, the art of being forgotten for the very best reason, so that Jesus might be remembered. And when we look through the Gospels, we follow 12 men on the most astounding adventure of their lives. They lived for three years with the Son of God. None of us can, can claim that. And they saw miracles. They did miracles. They changed people's lives forever. They were empowered to heal the sick, cast out demons, do miracles. But they were never the central character of the story. They're not the point. Every time they're mentioned, every story that's told about them, every piece of speech they made is designed to point to someone else to Jesus. And the same is true of us. 
I remember um, not long ago, I um, walked away from a conversation with a big issue seller with, um, with a big issue in my hand and a warm glow in my heart. Um, we'd had a great chat, I'd made a smile, it was brilliant. And I thought, yes, this is what living out my faith looks like. This is what, in the day-to-day life, making a difference for Jesus means. And I was halfway across the car park when I suddenly stopped and I thought about what I was saying to myself. Because as I walked away from her, I thought, yeah, I've made a real difference. But I suddenly realized that the only thing that I had left her with was a sense that I was really great. I was really kind. I'd made a really good day- difference to her day. There was nothing at all of Jesus in that interaction that we'd had. I'd built myself a phenomenal legacy of being a really nice person. But actually, had I done any good in pointing her at the guy that loved her more than I ever could? And as I thought about that, I realized how often that was true of the things that I do. When I stand up and I talk to a youth group or I do something at work, how often my goal deep down is to prove that I'm really capable, I'm really great, I'm really nice, I'm really friendly. How often does that get in the way of people seeing Jesus behind it all? Because in all our interactions, on all our adventures, we're not the ultimate point. We were designed to be becoming more insignificant so that Jesus would become more significant. Our lives were intended to point to his story, not to our stories. Our adventures and the journeys that we take are meant to be about his name being remembered, not about us going down in the pages of Christian history. And Simon, James and Thaddeus, they lived lives as the most amazing adventure that many of us will never come close to. They changed the world um, for some people. They helped found the global church, three of 12 of the first founders of the church that lives on beyond them. But you know what? I think they did it so well because we remember basically nothing about them. And I wonder how hard we find it, the idea that our actions might be completely forgotten, that our lives might never be remembered. That might be a real problem for us, but what if we could be fine with it? What if that could be okay? Because being forgotten seems like really bad news, but it could be really good news. Because when we live our lives trying to be utterly forgotten by the world so that Jesus might be remembered, we have a promise that we are remembered somewhere else. That for all our earthly insignificance, we have heavenly and godly significance. Can I have the next slide? In, um, and the next one. In Revelation 21, God describes being, um, John describes being shown by God the new heaven and the new earth. And it says this. If you uh, want to get it up on a phone, that's the best. Um, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in in the spirit to a mountain, great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. 
It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Pretty much every part of Simon, James, and Thaddeus' life has been completely lost to history. It's gone. We have no idea. Every word that they said, every decision that they made, every life that they changed is forgotten, insignificant, possibly, unremarkable. We only have their names. But in heaven, their, their names, their lives are of such significance that they're carved into the foundations of the walls of the heavenly city. That is how significant they were to God. So known, so chosen, so loved by Jesus that they have that eternal inheritance with him. And that's our promise too. Not that our names will necessarily be on those foundation stones, but they're written into the book of life. That our God waits for us with open arms, ready to welcome us home, to be with him, to be in his new heaven and his new earth for all eternity. It kind of puts the likes and the favourites that we get on Facebook into a little bit of perspective. And I wonder whose story is your life telling at the moment? Whose fame are you living for? Could you handle if you were completely forgotten by the world? It might be that your answer is a resounding success, in which case I salute you and I want to sit down with you because mine is not a yes. It's probably a quiet and ashamed no. Um, If your answer is no like me, if there's a little quiet voice in your soul that says, actually, I really don't want to be insignificant. I want to be known. I want to be respected. I want people to know about me. Um, I've got a couple of practical tips of how I think we can shift ourselves from people chasing earthly significance, to relinquishing that for the significance of Jesus. Here's the first. Practice worship. Did I say prayer? Fascinating. That's what babies (laughs) do to your brain. Um, Practice worship is what that should say. Um, Pray too. Great thing to do. Um, Practice worship. When we worship, we stand in front of God and we remind ourselves of who he is. Um, I didn't um, talk with Jim before this morning, and uh, I love the songs that Jim had chosen because they were so on message. Um, When we stand in front of God, we remind ourselves of who he is, who we are next to him, and actually why it's okay for him to be remembered and us to be forgotten. When we regularly do that, whether that's through musical worship, through sitting in front of Jesus each day and reminding ourselves of who he is, our perspective on life changes and we can release that need to be remembered. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, talks about the need for status and success and and recognition as an idol. Um, And when he talks about idols, he says the only way that idols are torn down in our lives is when we replace them with a greater love, when we replace them with a greater love for God. So when we start reminding ourselves who Jesus is, what he did for the world and why he matters, we can release the need to be remembered by the world. And the second thing is this, practicing obedience, that in our day-to-day lives, continually and purposefully making those little decisions where we lay down our own significance for the significance of Jesus. We're only capable of laying down our significance in the biggest decisions, in the biggest moments, when we do it in the smallest moments and we've practiced. 
When we learn, we learn to follow Jesus into insignificance in the daily decisions that we make. It's a practice that we make. So those are my challenges to you this week. Um, if you want to follow me on this journey, let's, let's have a week, a month, a year where we practice worship and we practice obedience. I am a closet Anglican um, Sim kind of outed me there. Um, I grew up in the Church of England, um, and whether I like it or not, it's kind of bled into my DNA. Um, so for the entirety of my childhood, I would, on every Sunday morning, be in a um, Church of England communion liturgical service, which I have a love-hate relationship, I must be honest. Um, I did used to kind of spend a lot of time doodling under the pews. Um, but the one thing I love is that every week in, um, in the communion service, you say the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I remember a vicar once saying to me, um, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer to pray every day because there is always a line that speaks into your current circumstances. Um, And it's so true. And uh, the final line of the Lord's Prayer says this, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, for the longest time, I thought that was an observation because, of course, the kingdom, the power and the glory are God's, right? It's obvious. They are. Um, But at some point recently, I realized um, how often I live my life trying to grasp back the power and the glory and the kingdom for myself. How often the decisions I make at work are about wanting to get glory for the things that I do. Wanting to obtain positions of power to do things. Wanting people to notice me, to respect me, to, to give me praise. How often I do that. And I realized that This doesn't have to be an observation that we say. It can be a promise that we commit to. That as we say this prayer together, those lines don't just have to be about recognizing that it's true, but saying, I want to live in a way that reflects that. We are living in a culture obsessed with self, with status, with recognition, with significance, with being remembered. But we're called as disciples to lives of countercultural insignificance that shout the name of Jesus louder. We're called to be like James and Simon and Thaddeus, completely and utterly forgotten that Jesus' story might be remembered. And I wonder whether you will do that, whether you know and trust that your significance is safe in God, whether together as Freedom Church and as the individuals that make it up, we will let ourselves be forgotten that Jesus might be remembered. Um, I thought we could close in the words of the Lord's Prayer together um, as a mark of this, as the band come back up. Um, very Anglican, forgive me. Um, so uh, let's, um, if you're up for praying this with me, that'd be amazing. Let's, um, if you know it off by heart, you can close your eyes. If you don't, the words are up on the screen. Um, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into evil, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.